Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We have a raucous Rose Bowl to recap, and we got a Sugar Bowl where Washington has come out on top. Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, Kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today on the show, we got to recap the Rose Bowl, which went into overtime since the last time the college football playoff was hosted at the Rose Bowl. And we got to talk about just what Michigan's win against Alabama means heading into the national title game. But first, let's get started with the game that just Ended the Washington Huskies, not unlike the Michigan Wolverines, making history with a 37 to 31 shellacking at times of the University of Texas. Now, I'm saying shellacking in air quotes because at one point or another, particularly the third quarter, this game looked like it might have been getting out of hand for the Texas Longhorns. But shout out to them who found a way to fight back with 7.50 and change left to go in the fourth quarter and really turn this game into one that was a thriller at the end. I hate that it had to go like this, but if Dylan Johnson does not go down with that injury timeout, perhaps Texas does not get an opportunity to take this ball almost all the way down the field and get into a fourth and 11 where, hey, it's a jump ball to Adonai Mitchell. He just doesn't come down with the rock, and it is purple rain. Never meant to cause you no pain. Some of y'all understand that reference, and some of y'all need to understand that reference because your parents didn't raise you right because that's a prince reference all right it's also one of these things where i'm looking at michael Penix jr and i'm going yo dog we need to start talking about that dude like we talk about omar little and it ain't just because the do-rag need to get that man a pack of cools as well talking about hey if you won't believe me it's on you because that man went for 430 yards today that man went 430 passing yards today and you know what we tried to tell everybody that this is the way that this could go even as i picked texas right but the thing that you need to understand about this is that Texas, as good as it is offensively and defensively, was not great against the pass. In fact, 93rd in the country against the pass, allowing about 241 passing yards per game. Meanwhile, the Washington offense, that's kind of what they do, particularly with that guy, Michael Penix Jr., slinging it with his left hand. He's averaging 324 and change a game. And in this game, at one point, that man had put up more passing yards than Texas had put up total yards, okay? Going for 400 yards against that Texas defense is not too shabby. And what I love about this is 
the Washington Huskies did not act like they were going to invent a whole new offense when they went at Texas. They came out slinging it to Jalen Polk, slinging it to Giles Jackson, slinging it to Jalen McMillan, slinging it to Rome Odunzi, and absolutely getting it in. What I love also is that this game was back and forth in the first half and neither flinched. We had a touchdown scored by each team in the first quarter. We had two TDs scored by each team in the second quarter with Texas scoring with 17 seconds left in the half and then not again until the fourth quarter. And that is really when we got to see Washington take this game over. It seemed like every time Michael Penix Jr. had his hands on the ball, it wasn't about if they were going to go get six. It was when they were going to go get six. And the way in which that offense ran, because they are really great at picking up double-digit plays, double-digit yards on those plays, going for chunks. But they're also really good at taking the clock all the way down. It's almost like they look at what Josh Heifel is able to do at Tennessee, go vertical, go fast. But when they get to the line of scrimmage, hey, we kind of want to sit here for a little bit, take the clock all the way down. And that has made them really tough to beat, especially in the latter stages of games in the Kalen DeBoer era. I pointed out this stat when we we're doing the, the preview show for the college football playoff semifinals. But I think it is very important to point it out once again, the Washington Huskies, 9-0 and against ranked opponents in one-score games in the last couple of years, right? And 10-1 and in one-score games against anybody over that span. We're talking about winning 21 straight because they know how to win in winning time. With about two minutes and change left, they were up by six points against Texas and... I thought the game was over at that point. Now, credit to Texas, who found a way to find them, uh, find them their way back into this game. But it's getting to that point to where if you're in a dogfight with the Washington Huskies, it's a fight that they feel like they're going to win. Not they can win, but they, they are going to win. It also speaks to what Kalen DeBoer has been, not just at Washington, but for the length of his career. We're talking about a man who has won over 100 football games as a head coach, won 67 at the NAIA level before slowly making his way to Southern Illinois, Indiana, even getting as far as Fresno State as the head coach before becoming the head coach at Washington. And all he's done since getting there is win and win and win. A lot of people that voted for Michael Penix Jr. to win the Heisman Trophy ahead of Jaden Daniels are feeling vindicated with this win because this was a masterclass by a guy who has been doing just what he has been doing all year slinging it to his playmakers, putting the ball in the hand of his playmakers, and an offensive coordinator and a head coach in Ryan Grubb and Kalen DeBoer, respectively, who absolutely trust him to go out there and make plays. I found it really fascinating that of all the guys that stepped up, right? We're talking about Rowan Dunsey, Jalen McMillan. Jack Westover having six catches for 59 yards seemed to be the guy when you needed to have it, like a stick route on third and uh, got to have it, Right. Is just open there, and you can see Ryan Watts is just mad because nobody picked up the tight end. Nobody been picking up the tight end basically since Utah because they ain't been throwing to Jack Westover. They've been throwing to those guys on the numbers, which is where I was able to see most of the work getting done here, and it just didn't seem like Texas had an answer for anything that Washington wanted to do vertically. It's also fascinating to me that Washington had over 300 yards of offense in the first half, and yet it was a tie game. Led you to believe that if you could just get stops, Pete Kwiatkowski, that the Texas offense would find its way, but it was just not there for them most of the day. And Quinn Ewers was as up and down and inconsistent as we've become used to, right? It's not that he was particularly bad. It's that he wasn't particularly good. And at one point, if Jordan Whittington doesn't pull a play out of his behind, the game is over, right? And I kept looking at them going, why aren't you getting the ball 
to the best player you have on the football field. His name is Xavier Worthy. He wears number one on the jersey. You should throw him the rock. Now, I get, yes, you've got a Jatavion Sanders. You've got a Jordan Whittington. You've got an Adonai Mitchell. You've got a C.J. Baxter. But the dude that had been bringing you this, this being opportunities to play for championships, is that guy on the numbers going back to last year and Xavier Worthy. Reminds me a lot of Hollywood Brown or Zay Flowers, if you are familiar with the NFL. Short, fast, can get by people. I didn't think that they used him enough. But you know what Texas was able to do well was run the football. And it felt like as long as they were giving the ball to C.J. Baxter and to Jaden Blue, they were going to have opportunities. But this was not a particularly clean game by any stretch by either side either. We had a muff punt in this game. We had a muff punt in the Rose Bowl. It just didn't seem like these dudes were up to the challenge of playing in the college football playoff semifinals. And you know what? At one point, I can't really blame them. It's a really big stage. And only Alabama had been here before. But you got to remember it. The coaching staff, for the most part, kind of sort of been here before, namely Nick Saban. But the rest of those guys were very young. They were very much not in their particular space of safety, which would be an SEC, you know, Sugar Bowl type of situation. That the Rose Bowl, that's Michigan's home. They felt very comfortable there, and it showed. We'll get to them in a minute here. But I thought it was really outstanding for Washington to answer the bell the way they have because they're already in a territory that they've never, ever been in. Like, my editor, uh, uh, for the pieces that I write, top 25 columns, all the things that I write, foxsports.com, uh, is a Washington alumnus, and he's beside himself, as is my managing editor, J.J. Jackson. I... I'm going back and forth with them going, why aren't you guys excited about this game? And yet what I got was trepidation and fear. And yet I'm going, you're 13-0 for the first time since winning a national championship, 91 going into 92. You're 14-0 for the first time in history. This is a great football team. And now feels like they get to own this. They're going to play in what is going to be a de facto Big Ten title game, hello, in the national championship game. But also they're able to box out a Texas team that we all thought was going to answer, right? They're playing just across the border from a place they call home, right? They're this close to doing what Washington is doing, scooting to Houston. But it was the Washington Huskies who said, game over, Lil Flip. I'm going to make all these Houston rap references the rest of this day because this is just a great day for me in particular because you're going to play the national title game in Houston where they got some of the best chopped and screwed music and country music that you ever heard or seen about. In Washington, they're going to hear about this all the way through because the iron will that they showed to get them in this place means they're going to get me getting these beats to them, okay? I understand that it's y'all first time on this national title stage, particularly playing in the state of Texas, but it's true. They do it bigger in Texas, and they're going to do it even bigger without Texas. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? I felt bad for Steve Sarkeesian in this because it felt like he had a great scheme that he wanted to run. They just couldn't execute. That was it. At one point, I'm watching Braylon Trice just eat on that offensive line. I'm going, yo, dog, what are, we, what are you doing here? We're watching Kelvin Banks get beat. You know, I'm, I'm watching guys that normally make plays make mistakes. And it just seemed that Washington didn't have any of those. They didn't have guys that were out there making mistakes. They had guys out there that understood their roles in the offense and defense, and they stuck to them. That's all you can ask for if you are an offensive or defensive play caller is that, hey, I'm going to put you in great situations. Trust me to make the adjustments on the fly to what they are doing. And you go execute. If you go execute, we'll win the football games. And that's what Washington has done. Tr remarkable win for them on a tremendous stage when nobody, but nobody picked Washington to win a national championship, let alone play in a national championship game. And yet here they are with one of the best players in the sport, Michael Penix Jr., one of the best coaches that 
well, people are getting to know about AP Coach of the Year and Kalen DeBoer and a story that everybody can get behind, right? Like there's everything to like about this team offensively and defensively. There's everything to like about what Michael Penix Jr. has been through, you know, blowing out knees, coming back from that, transferring from Indiana to Washington. Yet another guy who benefited from an opportunity to go into the transfer portal, reunited with a play caller and a head coach that he loves and knows in Kalen DeBoer, and they make it do what it do, baby. Like, I'm all for this. And we're going to talk a lot more about Washington and the matchup against Michigan a little bit later on. But again, if you're Texas, are you, did you, did you expect to be here? Maybe, sort of, kind of. After you beat Alabama by 10 points, you're feeling some kind of way. Then you take that loss to Oklahoma in the OU Texas, right? The Cotton Bowl. Nobody expects you to really come back from that. Looks like Oklahoma is going to control the rest of the Big 12, and yet you keep winning football games. You win football games with Quinn Ewers on the sideline. You win football games with a guy that's not even in the program anymore in Malik Murphy. You have a defense that's showing up in a huge way. Devondre Sweat being one of the better players in all of college football. Jalen Ford still being one of the better linebackers in all of college football. Anthony Hill Jr., an outstanding true freshman. C.J. Baxter coming off the bench after you lose Jonathan Brooks to an ACL injury for the rest of the year. And yet, and still, you win the Big 12 championship for the first time since 2009. You punch your ticket to the college football playoff, and here you are with an opportunity to win it late. You just came up a little bit short. I'm going to talk my noise about Texas because that's what I do. But I'm also going to give you your flowers, man. I am very impressed with what you were able to accomplish this year. Very impressed with what Quinn Ewers has been through this year with Arch Manning behind him. Everybody wants to see that dude, the iconic photo of Quinn Ewers looking back and seeing everybody around Arch Manning in a media session going, dog, what is it about? It's about nobody gets to talk to Arch Manning. We get to talk to Quinn Ewers throughout the year. You take what you can get if you're a beat writer. I've been in that scrum. Johnny Manziel was that guy, 2012 Cotton Bowl, and I'm getting... I felt like my ribs were going to break because everybody scrunched in on us. This is the first time that Johnny Manziel had been available to media. I understand. And yet, seeing all of that didn't ruffle his feathers. He went out. He played hard. It looked like at one point he might have to sit because dude looked like he's taking on another injury. He hit the back of his head, came back in, gamed it out, gave his team an opportunity to win late. Really great season for Texas. I understand y'all not going to feel that way about it going in. But know that you're in a great place to launch into the SEC play in 2024 and you ought to be proud about what your team has accomplished we'll talk a little bit more about what washington has done in relation to playing a national title game but one more thing to point out here is michael Penix jr not just 29 to 38 for 430 with two tds it's also that he was able to throw passes to four different guys who had five catchers or more all up and down that roster. So when you play them, you're going to have to play pass defense against what is i think the best passing offense that came or was in 2023 heading into 2024. Quinn Ewers actually turned out to be pretty good with the line, 24, 43, 318, 1 TD. Again, just didn't come together at the end. Now, let's get off of the Sugar Bowl. Let's talk a little bit about the game that began some eight hours ago in Pasadena, California, number one Michigan versus number four Alabama. And that game naturally went the way of the last time that we had a college football playoff semifinal at the Rose Bowl. Going into overtime, Michigan found a way to top number four Alabama 27-20 in overtime. And off the rip, Michigan's defense was the difference. Like, we're going to talk about J.J. McCarthy and him being able to do what he hadn't been able to do basically for the last six weeks against Bama, throw TD passes. But what I was more impressed by was the Michigan defense answering the bell. 
They sacked Jalen Milrow six times. Now, for perspective there, Georgia double-spied Jalen Milrow in the SEC title game and sacked him four times. It was as if they were listening when everybody said Jalen Milrow holds the ball too long. And they said, cool, if he wants to hold the ball, he's going to eat it. And in the first half, they had five sacks of Jalen Milrow. Each time, they sent five or more, and they got home. He didn't know if he was coming or going, and when they got their hands on him, they put him on the ground, and that was always going to be the challenge with Jalen Milrow. If you took away his ability to run away from you and make him throw the ball deep down the field, you have an opportunity to win because he's not going to hit as many of those as you expect, and he certainly hasn't been great throwing the ball over the middle. So you got your pass defense and your pass rush showing up in a big way, but it wasn't as if they could do much else. I gotta, I gotta lay this in, man. 283 total yards. That's what Alabama had at the end of this game. And yet, and still, Bama going 3 of 13 on third down, 0 for 1 on fourth down. We'll talk about in the, uh, that in a bit. Had a lead in the second half in the fourth quarter against a dominant number one ranked Michigan team. And I say that because Michigan had never trailed a team in 2023 in the second half of any ball game. And they found a way to come back and win this game because the defense got stops. Like, Milrow and the Alabama offense had the ball with under a minute left to play. Couldn't even get Will Reichard into kicking distance where he had been money all day. Has to punt the ball back to Michigan, and Michigan does what, well, I didn't know they could do. They charged straight down the field, and they went and got seven to tie this up. And then the way this game ended was kind of weird and that I would want Nick Saban to put pressure on that Michigan offense, especially backed up against the goal line, and not let them just kind of sit on the ball and walk it out to overtime. But that might just mean he did not trust the defense or he didn't trust the offense if they got the ball back. Either way, you could see it because it didn't look like Alabama was in sync. Even as, again, this game was not clean. We had a muff punt by Samaj Morgan at the beginning of this game. And I'm going, do y'all realize that you can't do this against an Alabama football team that is better on defense than it is on offense? And they said, okay, we're going to find a way. We're going to keep getting it to our playmakers, and we're going to see a Blake Quorum that we had not seen all year long. One who was explosive, one who ran angry, and one who knew exactly what he could do once he got to the second level, and that was absolutely run people over. I was very impressed with the Michigan offensive line that, frankly, I don't know who to trust on this, okay? Like, we talk about Joe Moore award-winning offensive lines. We talk about what Sharon Moore has been able to do with that room, and I have said repeatedly they have seven guys on that offensive line or in that offensive line room who could get drafted in April all from the same year. And yet, if you talk to folks that are close to Michigan, they'd be like, I don't think they that good, dog. You talk to folks that know from offensive line, they'd be like, I don't know what they're talking about. That offensive line is great. And what I got to see was, okay, and got to have in moments, what were you doing? You were putting the ball in the hands of guys like Blake Corum. And then... Man, Sharon Moore trusting J.J. McCarthy like I wouldn't have trusted J.J. McCarthy. You're throwing throwbacks that that man has to catch with one hand, turn around, find Roman Wilson down the field, unleash it, and then get turned up by Dallas Turner, pulling grass out of his helmet, getting back into the game. It's not just the man threw his first TD against Alabama since throwing a TD against Ohio State. It's that this is his first multi-TD passing game since Michigan State on October 21st. 
I don't know how to tell you that that's a big deal except to say that's a big deal. Like the idea that you get into scoring range and you're not just going to throw the ball into the belly of Blake Corum, but that you were going to run some motions to try to get an opportunity to give JJ a clean look at making a pass play. That means that you understand just what he's capable of in a way that frankly I didn't. Right. And I got to give credit to Sharon Moore on all of that. I don't know that I would have thrown Alex Orgy in there as often as he did, but you know, that's also what Sharon Moore is going to do. As much as Steve Sarkeesian wants to go in his bag, we get to see Sharon Moore go in his as well. A couple of times I was like, Hey man, you're getting too cute. And this game's kind of tight here. And as it kept seeming like it was going to go Alabama's way, they kept finding a way Michigan's defense to get the ball back to the Michigan offense, just in time to go make a play. And with this win, it's not just that the best team that we've seen Michigan field since 1997 is one game away from winning a national championship after being 14 and 0 for the first time in school history. It's that Michigan's win against number four Alabama also earned Michigan its first CFP semifinal win in three attempts and stopped the SEC's reign of dominance. Like, I got to put it in this perspective until New Year's Day 2024, that's today. The SEC had won four consecutive national championships, okay? Until New Year's Day 2024, the SEC played in eight consecutive national championships. Michigan put a stop to all of that. And then Washington said, hey, we got you. We're not even going to let them call a de facto SEC team, Texas, in there because we're going to be in there because we're a de facto Big Ten team since you get the, now you get the Big Ten championship. I was floored by just what that Michigan defense was capable of doing against this Alabama offense. Because the thing that you had heard and seen, frankly, is mobile quarterbacks, they don't know what to do with. Jesse Minter's defense just can't stop a mobile quarterback. Turns out, lies were told. Lies have been detected. Because that's exactly what that Michigan defense did. It put the shackles on a man that I did not think you could put the shackles on in number four playing quarterback back there. And I love that play at the end of the game, fourth and three, which is basically a two-point conversion. Nick Saban and Tommy Reese said, we're going to go with one of the two-point play conversions that we have dialed up that we think we can win with. And they said, what we're going to do is we're going to run a QB power. We know that they're probably going to bring a run blitz. We feel like we can block it up and we feel like we can gap it. And Michigan said, you shall not pass. If that is not a way for you to personify what your program is about, I don't know what is. You were able to run in with the game on the line in overtime. And not only did Blake Quorum angrily run and have one of the best jump cuts we've seen all, all season, but he stared down the camera like, what, you thought that I was not going to get in here? You, you thought that I was going to act like I'm not supposed to be here? No, he was mugging the camera. He was mad about it. And I love to see that from a running back because I know that that running back is also personifying his offensive line. And then defensively, same thing, dog. They just decided that you were not going to score. We were going to end the game 27 to 20, and we're going to go to the national title game. Perspective here, though. <laughs> Jim Harbaugh is that dude. And he has become that dude over the last three years. I can't stress this enough. If Michigan-Ohio State had played in 2020, I'm not sure that Jim Harbaugh would have been the head coach in 2021 because I know that Ohio State was chomping at the bit to stomp out Michigan in that game, and they had the team to do it. Okay, game was canceled. The next year, 
we get to see what Michigan might be and what they are becoming. And they've done this for the last three years. Yeah, they get to the playoff and they get beat by a Georgia team that we all knew was good, right? Then they get back to the playoff. They get beat by a Texas Christian team that turns out wasn't good. They get back to the playoff against an Alabama team. Their jaws drop because they think they're supposed to be playing Florida State. I didn't think they wanted that smoke from Alabama. They said, you know what? Fine. We will do it anyway. We beat Ohio State three times in a row. That has given us enough confidence to go win the Big Ten title again. You can make our head coach sit out three games for for something one of his staffers did. Okay. You can make our head coach sit out the first three games because he misled NCAA investigators on recruiting violations. You can give us level one infraction notices around Christmas as we're preparing for the biggest game of our season. And we're still going to show up and we're going to give you the what for and the how now against the vaunted Alabama Crimson Tide. If I'm a Michigan fan, you can't tell me a damn thing. You would not be able to tell me nothing. I don't want to hear nothing from nobody. Okay. Because nobody has had their back up against the wall like those Wolverines in Ann Arbor. And it's me talking. All right. I have full respect to this. Now, I got to give a shout out to Ward Manuel, who understands what the lay of the land is. Shout out to my guy, Michael Cohen, who had this quote. The question was put before Ward Manuel, athletic director in Michigan. Hey, you're going to try to get Jim Harbaugh to sign that contract extension on the plane? He said, dude, I'm working on it. Believe me, I'm working on it. I'm like, yeah, you're working on it. You got to be working on it. Because this is the best season that you've had in 26 years. And it could go down as the best season Michigan's ever had. It could right be, it could be right there if they can pull off this win against a Washington football team that is on another level as well. We got number one versus number two. We got two great college football playoff games, even if they were a little bit dirty, a little bit nasty. And I feel fulfilled. Like I, I am. I, you know, after I put down. The, the hate in my heart for the college football playoff selection committee, what they did to Florida State, and then Georgia made me feel better about that decision. I'm okay. We're going to get a damn good football game next week between Washington and Michigan, number one versus number two. And somebody is going to rightfully call themselves a national champion and go 15-0 and 0 in a sport where that felt impossible when we started this, this journey on the college football playoff some 10 years ago. Outstanding stuff by both of those teams, Michigan and Washington, much uh, very worthy of winning a national title if it should fall their way. All right, we're going to be back on Wednesday for a very special episode, a live episode that previews the national title game and takes a look at some of the bigger storylines involving the transfer portal, bowl games of yore, just how big this win was for Michigan for the Big Ten, let alone what the SEC had been doing, and get you set for what you can expect from us and the sport in 2024. My goodness, what a day of football. It was long. It was long, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I love a long day of good, clean college football. All right, that is going to do it for today's episode of the number one college football show. Our number one college football show leads the screener, Jack Coakley and Torn Westfall. They make us better in the film room. Production assistant, Kiara Santana, puts the special in our special team. Social producer, Javion Duncan, makes sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Niles Owens on the live switches. Shout out to y'all watching on TikTok. Chaz Boulay is sending in the signal. Senior producer, Catherine Cordaggi, excuse me, sees the entire field from the booth. 
Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline and the play snaps on my clap. We're back live Wednesday, nooner on the Eastern Standard Time. Uh, until then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Deuces. <laughs>